I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to this week's episode of the It's Utah's World podcast. Tom Hack alongside Steve Barter with you guys every every episode. Uh, it's you and I, Steve. Uh, I, I do need to forewarn some of our listeners. If you hear a drill in the background, I, I do apologize. Uh, that is on, coming through on my end. Uh, we're installing a hood above our stovetop. It's a... I'm not going to get into it. It's a... Anyway, it's... <laughs> yeah, my... Father-in-law's over here. My wife's upstairs, and there's a hood going in. Uh, it's like a anyway, whatever. I, it's yeah. too hard for me to explain, but it's not construction like a, going on, basically. Little bit, just a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> anywho, that's Steve Bartle. My name's Tom Hackett. Uh, Nayweed Subaru share the love event going on right now through January, or some part early January. Um, and a really cool initiative that Subaru is putting together all across the country. Nateweight Subaru happens to be involved. Uh, they got cracking deals, man, uh, on, on a number of select vehicle models. So head on down, 1207 South Main Street, and, uh, and just, just say hi. Check them out. Grab, grab a bag of popcorn for crying out loud. Hey, Steve, how was the trip to Seattle, man? Yeah, uh, it was okay. – uh, yeah, it was, you know, obviously – Trips are always funner when the team you cover wins, but, uh, but man, it was good. Me and Kendra had a good time up there and, uh, we're able to, to visit a few sites, a few sites and, and eat some good, good food up there. So it was, you know, it was a good time for, uh, for me and her. Did you do, did you do Chinatown in the end or just stick to the seafood? No, we mostly stuck with, with, uh, the seafood. We did hit up a China place, but I can't remember what it was called. It wasn't Chinatown. But we uh, we hit a, a Chinese spot kind of closer to where we were staying. We were up north uh, of Seattle, of of uh, Mont Lake and, and University Campus. We were about ten minutes north of of uh, that area. So we found some like local Chinese spot that was like highly rated, and man, it was phenomenal. It was good food. It was good food all all weekend. You guys ate well. I'm happy to hear that. Because- <laughs> yeah. Seattle, uh, Seattle's got, you know, some of the, some of the, in my opinion, anyway, some of the better food going around. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And a lot of diversity and, and, and top quality stuff. Um, I guess we have to talk about the Washington game. Speaking of Seattle, don't we? It's kind of why we're here again. We'll put this uh, podcast out for you today, which happens to be Monday. Uh, and then as the week unfolds, uh, we, we put out our second episode last week on Wednesday, just because Thanksgiving was on Thursday. 
Um, this week will will either come Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, and as of right now, it, it sounds like Oregon State is going to be the opponent for the University of Utah, I guess, right. uh, depending on kind of any unforeseen circumstances, COVID-19 related. Uh, but it seems anyway, as of Monday, November, what are we, 30th? Yep. That, that it's going to be the Beavers in town this Saturday night. It's a late one, too. It's an 8.30 kick uh, as of now. That obviously, again, can change as we saw last week. But, Steve, uh, how was it, I guess? I mean, we'll obviously dissect the game and go through some of the key plays, key moments. But how was it being up there covering a game uh, away from Rice Eccles Stadium in uncharted territory? And then, of course, Utah being up 21 nothing at halftime, only to surrender that lead and eventually fall 24-21. Yeah, you know, it was, it was interesting. I think, you know, having been there, getting to see the team and, and how they performed in a in – a, you know, unfamiliar uh, scene, you know, and, and place, you know, for a lot of those guys, that was their first time there to Husky stadium. And uh, so that was, that was pretty unique. And, you know, they, it was honestly, I think there was a lot of shock in the press box, you know, as the first half kind of unfolded Utah going into the half up 21 zero, it was, it was pretty quiet. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of chatter, wasn't a lot of, you know, a talk and, uh, it was uh, a lot of guys were caught off guard by by Utah and what they were able to showcase in that first half, um, you know. And so that was pretty interesting to see that, to be in there and to, to kind of fill the mood of the room because, you know, a lot of those guys up there, are, you know, they're media, but they're all dressed in Washington Husky gear. They're all, you know, they've got the, the purple and gold shoes that – you know, are clearly indicators, you know, there's, there's a little bias there. Right. I, and I don't think that's an issue. Like I think for the most part, like we all kind of understand that's, that's just the way things are now, but, uh, but it was definitely interesting being there at half and kind of just, it was just quiet, man. And then, you know, obviously the second half happened, unfortunately, and, you know, it, unfortunate turnovers and, and Washington just took over, man. And, you know, that was that was tough to to be a part of that. There was definitely a lot more chatter that second half than the first half. But, uh, you know, it was interesting. It was unique going through the, the testing protocols to get into the into the stadium. Uh, they had an open uh, open window press box. They opened their their press box just to keep, you know, the ventilation, you know, as, as good as they could. So it got cold. It was really cold. Uh, but you know, it was overall, it was a good experience and, um, and, uh, and definitely unique. I remember, so it was crazy. The guy that took the spill at halftime, you know, on that Zemiah Vaughn return guy that took the spill at halftime, like he was down for, I don't know how long he was down for a while. That happened right in front of us in the press box. I, you know, I shouldn't say right in front of us because we're, you know, 200 feet up, up, uh, up the stadium, but that happened right there, you know, on our end. And, you know, he, thankfully he got up and, and walked off under his own power, but man, he was down for a minute, motionless. That was pretty crazy. That was pretty unique, but you know, he got up and walked well, off. And, it took and a I couple think, minutes for him to get up, didn't it? Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. It took, it took him a little bit to get up and, and kind of get moving. Uh, pretty, pretty scary uh, to see that. Uh, but you know, he, like I said, he got up, walked off uh, and, and I think he, he went and got some medical attention or something like that, but it seemed like he was okay. At least, you know, the fact that he was able to get up, but he, <laughs> he took a spill for sure. Ooh, my goodness. Did he ever know he wasn't paying much attention because he didn't no. see that hit coming at all. <laughs> he hit his head, bang, smack on the turf. Uh, Done. The first lights out. Body. Yeah. Lights out. Um, and so that was kind of scary, you know, watching it yeah. in the comfort of home on the couch that happened, you know, at first you kind of, I kind of laughed and then I realized, oh, okay, no, no, he's, oh, he's out cold. He's not moving. Yeah. It's not like, you know, <laughs> yeah. just a spill where you, you fall over or you get hit and fall over and, and you pop back up. No, he was, uh, he was out cold. So your quick chuckle turned into a uh, serious concern. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Over here. But, uh, but, but I was glad they did make mention on the broadcast as well at the start of the second half that, that he was okay, which is, which is really all that matters at the end. Right. But, but yeah, I guess, you know, some, some warning for those that are, that are going to spend time on a football sideline, really no matter, because he was five yards off from the sideline. It doesn't right. matter where you are. You've, you kind of always have to be paying some attention, whether you're looking at the big board, the jumbotron, or, or you're watching the, the play unfold mm-hmm. yourself. But just uh, but be wary because yes, yeah, you know people fly around out there, and yeah, if you're not paying attention, you might uh, find yourself in a bit of disarray. So um, I, I have a theory on on what happened, uh, and I'm going to get to that now, and then we can talk more about that, Stephen. And really get into kind of the turning points of the game, Coach Whittingham and his comments after the game, what he thought were the turning points. But my, so the more I th- have thought about this, the more I am firmly on board with with what I'm what I'm about to say. So, for those that are unaware, and I think most of our listeners are probably aware at this point, Kyle Whittingham is he's petrified of of a turnover. Like he just, um, yeah. He doesn't know how to handle turnovers. He he refuses. He almost refuses to accept that they exist. That's the sort of level that yeah. we're talking about. Like he he, he like just, me and BYU. Yeah. 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 I guess you and BYU. Great. Great example. Um, and 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 his whole philosophy is on offense, right? Because he's a defensive minded coach. He's he's, a, right. he's essentially entire philosophy from an offensive standpoint is take care of the football. Yeah. Uh, which is his way of saying, don't turn it over. Right. Uh, and so what I've come to believe is that the coaching staff is also now petrified of turnovers. The players are also terrified of turnovers. And everything that happened in the second half is a direct result of Coach Whittingham's um, hatred for turnovers. Uh, this isn't the first time that Utah has given up a big lead at halftime under Carl mm-hmm. Whittingham. Uh, if if you if you guys remember in the in the San Diego Bowl, Sun no not the Sun Bowl. What do they call that? San Holiday Diego? Bowl. The Holiday Bowl. Thank you. It circa that would have been 2018, I believe. 2018. Utah yeah, Jason was up, Shelley. Jason Shelley. Yeah. Utah was up quite big against Northwestern. I can't remember exactly what the halftime score was. But I want to say it was they somewhere around. Yeah, they were up by. I want to say like twenty-one points. Um, yeah, it was. It was pretty comfortable. And then the second half was kind of what we saw against Washington, where I just felt watching that game, uh, uh, Steve, 
that I nearly called you my brother-in-law. I watched the game with my brother-in-law, so hey. I apologize. But but I was going to say what I was getting to was the from a play calling standpoint, it was it was cautious, uh, and then execution wasn't there on either side of the ball, offense or defense. Um, and I've, I, I'm starting to believe more and more that Coach Whittingham's hatred for turnovers could well be a direct correlation there. They, it's just everybody in the facility doesn't want to turn the football over and you're up big. Why would you take the risks that you may have taken in the first half? For example, the first series, there was a go route thrown to Brian Thompson down the near sideline and it was complete for a 33, 32-yard gain. And, and, and that... Yeah, you know, that never happened uh, in the second right. half. Uh, there were moments throughout the second half where um, I remember it was either third and short or fourth and short. I think it was third and short because we only went for twice on fourth down, got it in the first half. Second half, we we decided to quarterback sneak it from about one and a half yards, which which was another head scratcher. So this must have been third and short. It was like third and two. Uh, and and Bentley threw the check down to Ty Jordan, who got hit at yeah. the line of scrimmage, didn't get it. But he had a uh, – Brant Keithy was in his break, getting out of his break. He was just running like a five-yard out, wide open, you know, yeah. not far from Ty Jordan. But for whatever reason, Ty, you know, the check down's always going to be the highest percentage throw. Yeah. Um, and it's just small stuff like that. You watch it and you go, why aren't you throwing the ball to a wide open Brant Keithy uh, for a pretty simple first down completion? It's this notion of turning the football over is so scary at Utah football. And I, I think it's starting to bite them in the butt. I really do. I think it's starting to hurt them, Steve. I, 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 I was um, speaking to a coach up at Weber State yeah. Uh, last week. And I was, for whatever reason, asking this assistant coach about the way Jay Hill coaches. And, and Jay Hill's obviously a product of Kyle Whittingham. Um, and he was, a, he was saying to me regarding the turnover rule of thumb specifically that for a few years there, the first couple of years Coach Hill was a head coach, he kind of had the same mindset as Coach Witt, where he doesn't know how to accept the turnover. Nowadays, he's adjusted, and he actually tells his offense uh, in team meetings and offensive meetings that it's okay to turn the foot if you turn the football over. You know, like if you turn if you average one turnover a game, that's okay. Now the defense is then going to have to, you know get two turnovers themselves so that they win the turnover margin. But by all means, if you turn the football over, it's not the end of the world. It's a part of the game. The best offenses in the entire world, the Kansas City Chiefs, they turn the football over every now and again. Now, they don't do it a ton, you know, and they're not turning the ball over nine times in two games like Utah is this year. But they still turn the football over every now and again. It it just – it happens. Uh, And, and, and personally, I think it's healthy to understand that it is a part of the game and it's going to happen no matter how much work you put in during the, the, the practice week. It's just inevitable. And, and for me, to go full circle here, Steve, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts, Yeah, I think Utah is in a place right now where everybody, coaching staff, players included, are so petrified and scared of turning the football over, it hurts them. 
What do you yeah. think? No, I, I think, I think that's interesting. And I think you're seeing it through, through Utah's play so far. And, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult because obviously you don't want to turn the football over. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily a fine line, but I think you see the benefit of protecting the football and living on to, for the next play. Right. I think we saw what Utah could do last year uh, with, with Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss and, and that offense and how they valued the football and how effective your offense can be when you protect the football. It takes an elite defense to, you know, have that type of mindset just to be like, okay, we'll, we'll be fine and to play freely. But I do think that there is something to it where, you know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of new players and a lot of, you know, new roles. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, this is, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better term, this is all a process, right? I think that's kind of what coach Whittingham harps on is, you know, the foundation of his program is protecting the football and, and particular, you know, on the offensive side of the ball is, is protecting the football. When you, when you do that, that's going to allow you to uh, continue adding layers to your game. And I think in, in reviewing the game, like you see that, uh, you see just how much Jake Bentley wants to avoid the turnover that it's check down after check down after check down. Right. And I think you make a great point. I don't know the psychology behind it. I don't know, you know, the, the fear factor of, of, of that, but it's definitely evident in his play that, you know, he, he wants to, you know, avoid the turnover by checking it down and what a, there's, you know, I'm writing a piece right now where it's talking about missed opportunities down the field. And it's because he's so, you know, concerned about just getting the completion, getting the ball out on, on the check down. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that to an extent, but you have to be willing to take some shots. You have to be willing to get your guys the ball down the field and allow them, you know, the opportunities to make plays down the field. You know, there, it wasn't just like one or two missed opportunities. Like there were four or five opportunities. You had a Brian Thompson opportunity where he was streaking down the sideline uh, in between a, a press cover two where he was wide open in that little honey bucket area between the safety and the cornerback. And, and Bentley had an opportunity to get him the ball. There was probably 10, 15 yards of space where he could fit that, that ball in there. There was another opportunity where Solomon Enos ran a deep curl route about 12, 15 yards down the field, wide open, nobody around him, and, and just missed it. And all of these are to to check it down. And, and you know, granted, some of these checkdowns are, 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 are good things because, you know, he's catching Washington in a blitz and he's getting it to the guy that, that would have been responsible, you know, uh, for uh, what am I trying to say? He's getting the ball to the guy that would have been defended by the blitzer, right? That's what I'm trying to say. And so, you know, in those instances, he's making the right decision. Uh, but there's just so many opportunities to get the ball down the field uh, in the passing game that are just being missed. And I think that's kind of the issue that you have with a quarterback that doesn't fully understand the playbook just yet. And I think that's kind of what sucks the most about losing Cam Rising, where you know, sure, he didn't have the playing experience, but he was the most familiar with the playbook and understood where guys were going to be and where to look. 
And, you know, it's tough. And so I think Bentley has, uh, you know, uh, I do think he played better this week than, than week one, obviously. And I think the fact that he was able to check it down so much and know where guys were and, and throw some accurate passes kind of speaks to that. But uh, I think he's got to take his game to another level. He's got to add to his game this week and, and take some shots down the field in order for Utah to, um, uh, to, to really have a good chance at, at a win and, and kind of build some momentum in these final two or three games or however many games they're going to play. And it's all situational. Um, right. And that's worth noting, and you brought that up. And, and so I, I do agree that, you know, check downs can be good. Um, but, but I stand firm. In, and, in- and you should, Tom. Like, you know, my, my point wasn't to, to sh- you know, to make light no, of no, yours no, or to make it any less. Like, yeah. you're absolutely right. Like, Bentley's got to take some shots for sure. Yeah, and, and, and personally, you know, I, I – and I would hate to do this because, you know, it is kind of out of my realm uh, just from a, a play-calling standpoint too. And, and I, I'm not necessarily specifically talking about Andy Ludwig here. This is kind of – many, many years of, of this same thing reoccurring. So this is kind of my, my little rant on just offensive coordinators that have been at Utah since I've been um, in the state, so eight years. I mean, it's just from a play-calling perspective. You think of last year. Last year was probably the most prolific Utah has been offensively in the eight years that I've been around. Uh, and, and, and essentially, you know, the, their, their offense was – Zach Moss with a little bit of pass catching sprinkled in there. And, and again, I, yeah. I, it's tricky because I understand entirely why Zach Moss was featured as such a big part yeah. of it. He's right. a freak of nature. You know, he's, he's, yeah. he's once in a blue moon type of running back. He's really talented. And he's showing that at the NFL level at the minute. So, you know, it's tricky. But I also want to quickly point out, like, that the reason Coach Whittingham is so petrified of turning the football over is because outside of the final score line, if you win the turnover margin, your chances of, of winning the game are like skyfold. Right. You know? Yeah. So like, like, it, like I, I understand why he puts such a great emphasis on winning the turnover margin. Like, like it makes sense to right. me, but I think we're at a point uh, where the offense as an entire whole is is just really scared of turning the football over when they shouldn't be right. because you're yeah. never going to get the most out of your players. You're never going to get the most out of your, your coaches when you're scared of making a mistake. And I, I, I don't think that's, a, that's unreasonable. Again, that's just, my, that's just my observation, kind of what I've been hearing, uh, what I've been seeing. So, um, so take it how you will. But – Right. It, was, it was incredibly disappointing. Bottom line is they lost the game by by giving up a a a, tw- a twenty one point uh, margin at halftime. Yeah, uh, and and it was the first time University of Washington has come back from twenty one points down in forty two years. So give credit where credit's due, and that is to the Washington Huskies football team because they climbed an incredibly steep mountain to overcome all the odds and and beat uh, the University of Utah. Hey, uh, what do you make of the offensive line? That was the big Improved. talking point over uh, from USC. Uh, yeah. Tell me more about kind of what you saw up there from an offensive line standpoint. Yeah, no, I thought the offensive line 
was arguably the the second best group, you know, on the offensive side of the ball behind the running backs with Ty Jordan and what those guys were were able to do. I thought the offensive line showed a lot of improvement in it. And for for some <laughs> that are going to listen to this, like you're probably like smashing your head into to your desk or table or whatever. Like what? Like it's just asking yourself, what the hell are you watching, Bartle? Uh, but no, I, I thought the offensive line on Saturday night was uh, was much better. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's hard to see it as a fan because we're, we're just watching the play, right? We're watching the play unfold. We're watching the ball. We're watching what the quarterback does. You know, and any time you see the quarterback get pressured, you automatically assume that it's the offensive line, right? And I think that's, that's fair. We all kind of do that. Uh, just because we aren't watching what's happening outside of the ball. Uh, but, you know, I, I thought the offensive line played better. And, and so far, you know, all, all, all signs, all stats, all metrics that we tend to, to evaluate the offensive line by point to improvement. And, um, you know, just a few key stats here, I, I think are worth mentioning with the offensive line. Obviously, Against USC, that was just terrible showing, just horrible, right? And I think it was just kind of a worst-case scenario for Utah's offensive line. Um, but they allowed 26. They gave up 26 total pressures uh, to USC. Just That's not going to get it done. That's, that was more than half of their, their dropbacks, more than half of their, their uh, opportunities in the pass game. That's just not going to get it done. And on Saturday, they cut that number down to 13. So – Pretty good job there. Another key indicator here is how many clean pockets Jake Bentley had against USC. The offensive line and offense in general provided him with 10 clean pockets. Not great. Um, Against Washington, they provided him with 18 clean pockets. So they provided him with more time. And I think one big thing here is uh, against USC – the and this I get all of this information from from our our friends at, at Pro Football Focus. I got to make sure I mention it since I'm using their stats. But uh, another thing here is time in the pocket against USC was an average of 2.6 seconds before you know an attempt or a sack, and against Washington it was 3.35 seconds, which is that's considerable improvement. So uh, you know it it wasn't pretty like it it wasn't wasn't where we want this group to be just yet. And I think Utah's offensive coaches and Whittingham, they'll all tell you that as well. But I thought we saw progress in an area where we needed to see a lot of progress, and that was in pass protection. Um, and then in the run game, man, frankly, these guys, and I'm, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop I'm gonna drop a word here, Tom. So, you know, bleep me if you need to, but they kicked ass in the run game. Like they uh, multiple times they blocked guys five, 10 yards down the field uh, and just had their way uh, throughout the game in, in certain situations. There was obviously the fourth and one and a half where you try to QB sneak it. Whoa. Washington. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is like, that's a horrible call. You're getting five yards of pop with your running back. Why would you, why would you call a QB sneak with one and a half yards? Like it wasn't like a couple inches. It was a full yard and a half. Like it was not close. And then, you know, and then if you're Jake Bentley and I hate to put this on him, like I blame the the play call itself more than any, anything else in that situation. But if, you know, Washington shifts their defensive line and they've got their two, 320, 330 pound defensive linemen lined up right over the center, you've got to see that. 
right? You've got to recognize, like, we're running a QB sneak at 650 pounds of Husky defensive line. Like, nah, man, I'm checking out of this. I'm giving it to the guy back here. Like, and that, again, is just a, a thing where, you know, a quarterback with maybe a better understanding of the playbook, better understanding of what he can audible into and check to, uh, you know, maybe he gets out of that play and, and makes a play. But, you know, the, the play call was one thing, just I didn't understand it. But if you're Bentley, like at, at, at worst, you know, considering the situation, uh, call a timeout, get out of the play, and let's, let's try it again after the timeout. But that was just – that was the – you know, and so bringing it back to the offensive line, I think a lot of people looked at that play and, and really just kind of chucked it up as this offensive line hasn't made progress. But, you know, that 50-yard run that Ty Jordan had, the offensive line was out blocking dudes 10 yards down the field. And there were multiple other instances where the offensive line was getting a lot of movement. So overall, uh, you know, it wasn't a great performance, but it was a good performance and, and a performance where you see progress and things that you can still build on moving forward. Yeah, there, there was an evident response from the yeah. offensive line, which I think is really all Utah fans wanted to see. I mean, yeah, following the, the, the performance against USC, you know, it would be harsh of anybody to expect too much from that offensive line in just a one-week span. Uh, but no, certainly I, th- I agree with you. I think they should promise. Going back to that fourth and one and a half, fourth and one, uh, Solomon Innes ran kind of a, a fly sweep to try and move the Husky linebackers. They did not budge, clearly. Uh, but if they, if, they, if, if, if they had gotten the ball into Solomon Innes' hands, running that fly sweep, jet sweep, whatever they call it these days, he, I mean, he was going for a big, big game. There yeah. was one wide out. There, there was one wide out who was uh, blocking the defensive back and then just grass. So, I mean, it's just yes, such small little finer details that separate – uh, good teams from great teams, bad teams from good teams. And right now, Utah's finding out the hard way. They've been on the losing end now for two consecutive weeks of just some of those really yep. small and finer details. It's also worth noting, Steve, uh, no Orlando Umana in the starting five up front for Utah. He, he got banged up uh, against USC, and there was a question mark heading in. Uh, mm-hmm. Nick Ford played center, right. um, and there was some obviously shifting going on across the offensive front five. No Samson Nakua either. I'm sure many of you mentioned, uh, saw that. He was also banged up against USC with an ankle and, and wasn't able to go, which was a shame because Puka Nakua, his younger brother, is uh, such a formidable part of that Husky offense, as was well documented on Saturday evening. And it would have been pretty cool to see those two go toe-to-toe at, uh, at the wide receiver spot, but that wasn't the case. Britton Covey did return, though, Steve, which right. uh, is obviously a plus for Utah. Speaking of the wide receivers, Steve, they did not have a reception in the entire second half. Yeah, not great. Can, not I, great can I just quickly repeat that <laughs> in case you... May- they did not... Re- they did not... Have a reception. Not a single Yikes. receiver had a reception in the second half. What, 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 I mean, like, what are we doing here? 
Yeah, no, and that's that's like that that comes back to the point that I, I made earlier. It's just there were missed opportunities. Like there were there were opportunities to get the ball to these guys. It's not like they were blanketed all game long. Like there were chances to move the ball and get these guys involved in the second half. And it was just that the quarterback didn't look, didn't recognize those opportunities, and you know they. <laughs> Like, this is what happens. You get receivers that don't catch a pass in an entire half, especially one where you're clearly losing momentum. Washington is making a charge, and you need points. Shocking that you can't get your receivers the ball um, and allow them to make plays. I thought Brian Thompson was, you know, unstoppable in that first half. He had a few plays where he was just – it was – man, you love to see it. He caught that slant created a lot of yards after the catch. He had a great release off the line in the red zone for a touchdown on a corner route. Uh, he And that's before mentioning his one-handed catch on that opening drive that you referenced. Like, how do you not get these guys more well, opportunities? This is this is kind of what, what I see happening from when – because I like to pay attention for fantasy reasons to the NFL. And when you watch the NFL um, – you, most of the t- most of the top end quarterbacks are really good at this, and I think this is where most college quarterbacks struggle: is you know, um, understanding mismatches, and and also like like Brian Thompson was was hot in the first half. There was clearly a mismatch there. He was getting the better of his counterpart. Why wouldn't you target that more often? Yeah. And make and force an adjustment by Washington. Force an right. adjustment. And then you look elsewhere. If if he's being double covered or or they're starting to do a better job disguising their defensive plays, whatever the case may be, then you look for something. You no, know, because anytime a defense shifts to cover something up, there's gonna be there's gonna be other areas of the field that that are now exposed. Like, and that yeah. to me is where I think Utah and a vast majority of college football teams across the country don't do a good enough job in the moment because you can't game plan for this. It's not like you right. can watch film all week and say, we are going to have a mismatch here because you don't know what the defense is going to do come game day. You're going to say there's, there's a pretty good chance we may have a, a, a mismatch. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're not 100% certain until you see it firsthand up in the coach's booth, right. on the sideline, wherever the coach is, and go, okay, no, really, this is – or maybe, no, this isn't what we thought was going to happen because adjustments are made throughout the week. But in the moment, from a quarterback's perspective, an offensive play caller's perspective, I think Utah has to do a better job of uncovering certain elements of opposing defenses. And I thought, I thought Brian Thompson – was the perfect example of that. He yeah. didn't catch a football in – he only had two receptions the whole game and he averaged 25 yards a catch. You yeah. know, you've got to give the man more looks. And, and it's going to vary. Like some weeks, Brian Thompson might have the edge. Others, Solomoninas has showed a bit this year, or at least more than we've seen over previous years. Frank Keithy, uh, Dalton Kincaid's name can be thrown in there because he was hyped up prior to the season kicking off. Mm-hmm. So uh, I – it's a pet peeve of mine, and it's and it's very much easier said than done. Um, but but yeah, you you watch the best offenses in the NFL. Tom Brady's a great a great example. He's a great example of many offensive traits. But this is one where you just get the sense. You watch Tampa Bay play; 
Tampa Bay, they had Chris Godwin uh, or Goodwin, uh, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, and and they have very talented. They have uh, the old Alabama tight end, can't remember his name, and of course Gronkowski, like that, like serious talent on the outside. He mm-hmm. will go through series where he targets Antonio Brown for three consecutive plays. You know, and he's mm-hmm. moving the chains, moving the chain, picking up chunk yardage. And then he'll shift and he'll go to Mike Evans. And, like, he spreads the wealth around, right. but he picks, his, he picks it uh, at yeah. the correct time. And he understands, okay, this defensive back or that safety over the top is not good enough to cover my guy. Um, yeah. And I wish Utah did a better job of that. But I'm sure there are many I, college football fans out there, Steve, that wish the same. I agree. And, and I, I'm, I even made the point of that during our, our game thread at Utezone.com where, you know, early on in the game, there was a lot of just checking down and dumping off to running backs to, to Brent Keithy, you know, on a quick little out uh, and, and a lot of just dump offs to guys, you know, in these short areas. And I made the point where, you know, this is fine. Like this is what you want to see because it shows you know, he's got improved chemistry and an understanding of where guys uh, are are supposed to be, but this has to lead to something else, <laughs> you know, later on in the game. This this is going to open up opportunities down the field. This this has to lead to something else. And I think, you know, that's kind of the thing that, that we need to see from Bentley next is, okay, so you've you've established chemistry with your guys, uh, but it's time to to take that take some shots, take some opportunities. Like you now understand that you know, your guy in the flat is going to be there and you can hit him in the flat, but you got to know, like, the defense is going to adjust to that. And now, you know, like, you've got to hit Solomon, Solomon Enos on, on a post route 15 yards on the other side of the field. Like, they're going to account for something over here in the short area that's going to open up something else down the field. That's what we have to see from Jake Bentley this week. Um, you know, it's just a willingness to at least take shots down the field and kind of spread these defenses out. But I, I, you know, that's such a great point where, you know, and obviously, you know, we can talk about the bucks, we can talk about the chiefs, but you know, that's ideally what you off, you want your offense to look like is, okay, you're taking away this, you're taking away Brian Thompson. Okay. I'll go to Brent Keithy on the other side. Oh, you're going to take away Brent. Okay. We'll just, you know, we'll just run it down your throat with Devin Brumfield. But you want to take away the run? Okay, we'll you know we'll 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 get Brian Thompson deep again, and that's kind of the 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 chess match that that goes on with with coordinators, and you know, but it takes a quarterback um, executing and understanding the playbook, and I think that's kind of what is missing right now is the quarterback play, you know. With all respect to, to Jake Bentley, because I know he like what he's been through over the last month, and it sucks. But like he's got to take that step and and really spend a lot of time and truly understanding the playbook, truly understanding where guys are going to be in certain situations. Because um, it's on him. Like we can talk about the offensive coordinators needing to make adjustments, but it's ultimately up on the players executing. Uh, and 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 for me, it that you know that all comes back to Jake Bentley. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you. He's thrown what four picks through two games, yeah. two apiece uh, in back and, and games. Granted, like two of them were you know heaves at the end of the game, but still, like, come on, you got to protect the ball a little bit better and 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 do a better job of getting your guys the ball. 
Yeah, the first, so the first pick he threw was questionable against USC. Oh, yeah. He threw it. <laughs> he just he threw it miles in the air into triple coverage. <laughs> just uh, and what like, are you doing, bro? Like you know, very questionable. And then, and then the first pick he threw against Washington, the pocket collapsed. He spun to his left. He did have Covey open. The ball was thrown behind him, and uh, was it Elijah Molden that nasty? Defensive back safety for for the Huskies, I think it was who picked who picked him off. Um, just yeah, you, know, you, I yeah. Look, I I don't. I think there yeah. were two players on the Husky defense, Steve, that really got the better of Utah. Elijah Molden was one. He ended up with uh, eight tackles uh, in, that included the tackle for loss. Um and then and then Zion Tuipoala Fetui uh was another player that was incredibly influential. I guess you could you could also throw in uh Ed Fuan Ulo Foshio. Boy, some of those That's names. pretty good. Tongue twisters, my man. <laughs> That's pretty uh, good. <laughs> so they had a trio of, of defensive players that really stepped up to the challenge and 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 made life difficult for for Jake Bentley and and the entire offense. But um, the defense, I thought Steve stepped up again. I thought they were they yeah. were pretty good in that first half. They held them to a donut, and then um, look, it's really tricky for the Utah defense in that second half. You know, when your offense is is going three and out, three and out, three and out as as frequently as they were, uh, your defense is playing a lot of minutes, um, right? And that's that's tricky. I've always said, you know, the best defense is is played on the bench. Um, I think that's kind of like that's a pretty... new new way of of thinking about college football because it used to be defenses win championships, right? Yeah, I think yeah. those I think those days are coming to an end if they haven't already, uh, because it's certainly offensive production is a priority now across all levels of football: the National Football League, college football, uh, high yeah. school football. Like it just if you can't score a certain amount of points, and in college football it seems to be about 27-plus points, then you're probably not going to win many games no matter how good your defense is. Uh, and so I think your best defense is played on the bench because it means your offense is out there and and you're, you're potentially uh, about to score. So uh, yeah. I, 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 I think we have to understand that with how bad the offense was in that second half, the defense played a lot of minutes. And it was one of the reasons, in my opinion, late in the game, uh, UW took it, uh, nine, what was it, 93 yards, 85 yards? I mean, it was a long Something like that. Yeah, field. it was. Yeah, they were just. And, you know, to me, the biggest biggest concern that I have following the game, you know, outside of the missed opportunities, was where's Utah's pass rush? And just the lack of a of of production in in the pass rush has been you know it's been absent you know largely over the last few games but really evident on that final drive against Washington Dylan Morris was just able to sit in the pocket and you know pick apart the Utah defense and um <laughs> and so it, I think you know Utah's defensive line uh it's clear that they've made it a priority to to control the line of scrimmage uh, to control the run game. And they limited Washington to, I think, something like, oh, what was that? I think it was like 93-something yards. It was, On the ground? It was, yeah, it was like 88, 88. yards or so. Yeah. 88, yeah. 
88 yards on the ground, and they were averaging 250 rushing yards coming into the game. So I, you know, hats off for for limiting the rushing attack. They that kept Washington in a lot of long yarded situations. Um, but man, the lack of pass rush has been just alarming. Um, and and especially considering the fact of how much depth Utah has, uh, you know, at defensive end in particular. Like, well, forget about the freshmen. Forget about the freshmen for a second. The Van yeah. Rangers of the world. You've got two right. of the, like like Devin Lloyd, probably the best defensive player that returned from a year ago. Oh, but, for sure. But right behind him would have been Mika Tafua, and then right behind him was probably Max Tupai. And they yeah. both play on either end. Yeah. So what's so happening? You've got so you've got guys that you know have, have proven their ability to get to the quarterback. They're just and you know as I watch the game, they're, they're just stuck on blocks. They can't get off their blocks. And you know Max is Tupai has has been the best of the bunch so far in terms of generating pressure, but they just can't get off blocks and get to the quarterback. Um, you know Utah had to Utah dialed up some some. Nice pressures. I think they finished with 11 pressures, uh, whether it's hurries, uh, but they didn't get a sack for the first time in 20 games. They, the Utah football team did not get a sack. And I think, you know, that's, that kind of speaks to what they do on the defensive line. Um, and so for me, that was, that was kind of the big issue there, really made evident by Washington's final drive where they were just, he was just able to sit back and just, find a receiver, find his tight end, find his, you know, his other tight end and just move the ball down the field. And it was just like, man, like Utah's defense just can't get a stop here. And, and this is Washington's ball game. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a young defense, Steve. And right. that, that hasn't hurt Utah in the past. One of the reasons it hasn't hurt, in fact, probably the main reason it hasn't hurt is because Utah has been able to pressure quarterbacks with just a four man rush. And when you're able to do that, it, it, it helps the linebackers out and it helps the entire secondary out because, the, the, the quarterback's under pressure. Look, it's not rocket science. It's pretty self-explanatory. Right. Um, but if you can't, if you've got a young defense and, you, and you're having a hard time getting to the quarterback with with a full man rush, then you, you're forced into really one option, and that's bringing pressure from elsewhere, whether it be linebackers or cornerbacks. And when you do that, you then uh, put yourself in a vulnerable position to potentially be exposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember there was a uh, there was a third and pretty long. Um, uh, I think it was in the third quarter. Don't quote me on this, but it, it did happen throughout some point of the game. And Utah blitzed yeah. both linebackers. They brought uh, Nephi Sewell and um, and Devin Lloyd and 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 Dylan Morris, the quarterback for the, for Washington. Obviously, read the blitz, understood that there was pressure coming from up the middle, and it was just a pretty simple pitch and catch to his wide receiver that was running a, a slant route. Uh, yeah. or, or some form of a mesh route, and he picked up 15-odd yards. And so that's kind of the vulnerability I'm talking about where you can be exposed if you feel the need to bring more than just four pass rushes. So uh, there, there's certainly concern for Utah defensively. There's there's a ton of concern for Utah offensively. We, we spoke about this prior to the season starting. You know, we all the hype around the offense, Steve. You know, it's like, well, until yeah. I see it, until I see it, I'll believe it. But... You know, I've never really known of a Utah offense being better than a Utah defense in the eight years I've been here. And it still seems like that's the case this year. And I, I get yeah. it. Cam Rising's injured. 
and he showed a fair bit in the in the limited snaps he received prior to yeah. hurting his shoulder. But it doesn't matter. Injuries are a part of the game. Uh, sure. and there's nothing you can do about them. And so right now, certainly cause for concern if you're Utah. The good news is nobody really cares about this season. Yeah. That's the good news. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the great thing about this season is – Nobody cares, and and nobody's losing eligibility over this. So exactly. you know, Ty Jordan, Ty Jordan, you know, emerging as as a true freshman this year is going to be a freshman next year, and yeah. you know that's just you know it's exciting. So this is but nobody's like going to care. This is just like a, a glamorous spring game, you know. Yeah. Like if you can get a game this week, then that's great, and if you can win it, even better. But if you know, you know what? Yeah. If you don't, you've got a young team that's getting invaluable reps. Uh, and that's important. I will. I will say this too. I, I heard uh, prior to the game that U- Utah did have some issues from a COVID nineteen related standpoint. Right. I think there was six players slash a coach in there, like uh, oh. Malone Mataele, for example. You didn't see yeah. him. Well, he was one of those players. He was the only starter, if I'm not mistaken. There was an assistant coach as well that was unable to make the trip. He wasn't a coordinator, but he was an assistant, and so. Um, and so Utah were in a sense shorthanded, but you know, no excuse to go up twenty-one nothing and then and then surrender that lead throughout the uh, yeah. the second half. But we did call it, Steve. the The title of our podcast on Wednesday of last week was Utah's chances against Washington may be better than you may think. Uh, and the philosophy we were correct. You said it. Yeah. You said if you can sure. st- if you can stop the run, you give yourself a chance, and they yeah. stop the run. And they gave themselves a bloody good chance. Really good chance. And, you know, it sucks because, you know, we harp on turnovers, but they are so Mm -hmm. costly. And I think even despite the fact that Utah wasn't able to, you know, put points on the board in the second half, like if we're trying to find the positives, they were still able to move the ball in the second half. It's not like they just completely – shut down camp and, and just oh, packed their bags and went home. Only on one, really only on one drive, right? I mean, I, am I missing another drive? No, but the Ty Jordan no. fumble that occurred like in the right. red zone, that was like the only drive they could have scored, right? I think there were two, I think there were two, was one maybe more? three possessions. I okay. think there was at least, I think there was two possessions where they got into Washington territory and one for sure happened with, ended with the, the Ty Jordan uh, fumble and that just that sucked man like <laughs> it sucked because it's like why ty jordan like why him of all people because you know he's he's the bright spot and you know he's got to be the one to to go through the turnover and like experience that like that sucked yeah but but that that one and you know that one was that one was the nail in the coffin and that sucks because you know he was the guy that kept utah in this on the offense side of the ball and you know, a lot of people have made this point, but you go back to 2016 and you remember that Utah Cal game. Does uh, at Cal and Zach just Moss follow Isaac Asiata? Oh man, you know, just follow so him. big fifty. Just follow him, right? Yeah, and and you're in the end zone, and you know, unfortunately, Moss made the wrong read, and um, you know, Utah loses that game. But you see, you just you allow these players to kind of go through it, to go through the mistakes, to learn from things. And you, you never know what can come of, of these guys. You just give them the time. And obviously we've talked about it. Like this season is who, like who cares. Right. And so this is all about getting these guys experience because, you know, in 2021, 2022, 2023 season's going to get 
tough, you know, the schedule's going to get tougher. You got some trips to Florida and, and other places, Arkansas is in there somewhere, Houston, you know, so you've got some opportunities down the road where, you know, this time right now is going to benefit these guys, you know, in, in a couple seasons, next season and yep. down the road. No question. Uh, all right, Steve, let's get to your grades. What are you going to give the offense for this week? Hmm. I will give them – got to give them a C-. That's Love what we saw in the first step. Yeah, it's, it's an improvement. You had a D um, last week against USC. Yeah, so so an improvement, but still not where they need to be uh, in order to help Utah get 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 a get a dub. Yeah. What about the defense? Man, I three interceptions. They were really good against the run. Man, I'll give them a B. Okay. I wanted to go B plus, but I'll go B just because. They just because of the pass rush, like where's yeah. the pass rush? I get that. You had them a B plus against USC, and then uh, I guess the special teams weren't much of a factor. But what would you give them? C. I think ah. I think I think Ben Ben had a couple inside the twenty, and and maybe one even inside even inside the ten. I think uh, he was three for three for inside twenty punts, and he averaged oh, there we go. forty point three yards uh, hey. coming off a thirty six yard average against USC. So you are correct. Uh, but yeah. who's who's keeping track of that? Uh, yeah, punting. Yeah. We don't care about punting at Utah no. anymore. No, no, no. Only one person. We're trying to get points, dog. Yeah. We're trying to get points. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, yeah. I love the punt, <laughs> Steve. Uh, in unrelated news, Jack Tuttle got some reps for Indiana. Oh man, you would, you would <laughs> do this, Tom. Wow, you would do this. You, 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 you want to talk about you want you want to talk about Jade Daniels next? How he's going to match up next week? Like, what do you want to do, Tom? What are you doing to these fans? You were ba- you were bashing on my punt game, dog. I'm like, how do okay. I get out of this? All right, how do I that's get out fair. Of this? That's okay. That's fair. You 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 snap back and you you did so the right way, Jack Tuttle. Man, what a that sucks. It does <laughs> it does they are the number twelve Indiana Hoosiers? Uh, he didn't look. He didn't get many reps. For those that really care, I know there aren't that many. No, but, he, but he's he was five for five. He's gonna be the guy. Yeah, he was. He's gonna be the guy five. moving forward. I think what's his name? Michael Penix uh, tore his ACL. Is what it sounds like. So it sounds like Jack's gonna be the guy the rest of the way. There you go. So can the number twelve Hoosiers maintain that spot? Um, Steve, I think that's all she wrote for this week. Uh, yeah. Hopefully. Utah fans listening kind of got what they were after. Uh, and like I said at the top of the show, we'll be back in, in a couple of days' time uh, breaking down what to expect uh, up against Oregon State if that game is still uh, the game that will be played this week. Uh, I know I brought up Utah having a few players out with uh, COVID-19 protocol. I, I don't think it was an outbreak by any stretch. I think they're okay. Nah. Uh, yeah. and, and did I read correctly quickly uh, that, that the USC – player received a false positive i think i did not read that well don't quote me on that because i could have sworn i came up with some sort of headline but i read some sort of headline i don't know if it was the player that uh tested positive following the utah game right they might have had a few others test positive in the in last week which is why the game against colorado was cancelled uh but i i did read that Somebody on USC received a false positive. So anyway, that's something to interesting. 
get you uh, get you guys thinking about right before you go to bed. Uh, Nate Wade Subaru is uh, is our sponsor, uh, and without them, we we wouldn't be able to do this show. So so do yourself, do them a favor, and, and head on down twelve oh seven South Main Street and just check out the inventory. Uh, they've been in business for as long as any Subaru dealership has been in North America. They celebrated their fiftieth birthday. Uh, a year ago so they've turned 51 in 2020 um they're well established they've been around for as long as they have been because their service is quite frankly excellent and uh, you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you're in the need for a car uh that is the spot to go to because uh subaru kind of like the unofficial car of utah i would argue if you're driving around you'll see more than one subaru certainly so uh so we thank them greatly. Again, we'll be back in a handful of days to talk about the Oregon State Beavers who upset the Oregon Ducks. Can you believe that? The Oregon Ducks. And uh, the, the line came out for Utah, Oregon State. Utah plus nine, Steve. Minus nine. Minus oh, so, nine. Sorry, sorry, minus nine. Yeah. Utah's favored by nine points is what I was trying to get to. What? <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> let's, uh, let's do this then. Minus yep. nine, huh? We will be talking about that uh, midweek, so you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. As always, we'll see you guys soon. taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.